give 110%, give 120%, give 150%. That doesn't make any sense. You can only give 100%. So, give 100%, guys. Do your best. Hey, podcast listener. You're listening to the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast. The weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around. Sit down and listen in, because we're about to begin. I got something to say, man. Yo, welcome to episode 131 of the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe that only a semi-pro cyclist rides for love and not money. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who's giving 110%. Or was that 150? Hey there, semi-pros. My name is Damien Roos. I'm the founder of Semi-Pro Cycling, home of the Semi-Pro Cyclist. And you can find this episode at semiprocycling.com forward slash energy systems. And yes, we are starting with a review today from Australia. Five stars from Arthur Dog. Thumbs up. I came back into road racing recently after a 12-year break. I have felt like I have stepped into another world of power meters and new training methods. Damien's podcast has really helped me to develop my new knowledge base, making my return to racing a positive and successful one. Great podcast. Highly recommended. You are my dog, Arthur Dog. Thank you very much for writing that review. I really appreciate you taking the time out to do that. And if you like the show, I would love a review on either iTunes or Stitcher because five stars makes me... Thank you very much. Now, performance probe number one this week, impact of training intensity distribution on performance in endurance athletes. The purpose of this study was to compare the effect of two training programs differing in the relative contribution of training volume clearly below versus within the lactate threshold steady state region on performance in endurance runners. 12 sub-elite endurance runners were randomly assigned to a training program emphasizing low intensity, sub-threshold, or moderately high intensity between threshold training intensities. At the start of the study, the subjects performed a maximal exercise test to determine ventilatory VT and respiratory compensation thresholds. We have spoken about these in the past and just for our sakes, let's just compare them to FTP and lactate threshold. It's not exactly right, but close enough is good enough as far as I'm concerned. The study went over five months and the subjects performed a simulated 10.4 kilometer cross-country race before and after the training period. Training was quantified based on the total time spent in three intensity zones. Zone one, low intensity, less than FTP. Zone two, moderate intensity between FTP and lactate threshold and zone three high intensity which is greater than lactate threshold the contribution of total training time spent in zones one and two was controlled to have relatively more low intensity training in zone one than in zone two whereas the contribution of high intensity zone three training was similar in both groups. The magnitude of the improvement in running performance was significantly greater in Zone 1 than in Zone 2. 
So what can we get from this? Because the two training programs used, sub-threshold and mod high intensity, can also be called polarized and threshold training models. As shown in the study and others like it, the polarized model of training can produce better results compared to the threshold model, including the moderate level evidence demonstrating that a polarized model leads to greater improvements in 10-kilometer running time performance than a threshold model. This is in recreational and sub-elite runners. And there is low-level evidence demonstrating that a polarized model leads to improvements in running economy in competitive endurance athletes and that it leads to greater improvements in VO2 max peak. My conclusions, though, firstly, when you split training into three zones, it becomes a bit deceptive. There is a lot of different training intensities you can use under FTP. But I do agree with these findings, though, and have found similar results in my athletes. A lot of sub-threshold work does lead to great adaptions at FTP, but this isn't in isolation, though, because I will use a combination of mid and high intensities mixed in with that training at different times of a season. It does show, however, how important base still is. No, not the base where you're sitting at zone one in junk miles, but a proper base that's specific in its recommendation of percentage of FTP, but still in the endurance zone. Okay, so probe number two, BMC Racing Team Pre-Season Training. This is an article on the BMC team's blog with a breakdown of how BMC use power data to develop their riders along a logical, physiological pathway where the individual components of endurance, strength, power, and speed are addressed with the appropriate dose delivered at the right time. I've gone through and picked out the most interesting passages of the article, which I must say is pretty much all of it. But first up, all you are doing when you train on the bike is applying pressure to your body's genetic machinery to set up a sequence of events known as transcription and translation that will occur with exquisite precision over the first four hours of recovery. Depending on how long, how hard, how short, how intense a training session, the process of transcription and translation will vary significantly. What we know with confidence is that by training within certain training zones in November and December, we will produce a series of genetic modifications to our riders that will set them up for a long and successful season. So they're doing two months of base miles only. Interesting to note, specifically, we instruct our riders to target recovery to high tempo wattages most of the time during the months of November and December. This is between 56 to 90% of FTP. Their training sessions typically are long endurance rides of four hours or more, strength efforts of three to 10 minutes, and various hill repeats of five to 15 minutes. One session that has stood the test of time is the two-phase hill repeat. A two-phase hill repeat is simply a hill that is ridden at two distinctly different intensities. Used concurrently with specific strength work, we tend to use this session when a rider is in their general preparation or base phase. 
The rider will enter the hill at endurance wattage, then continue at the same intensity for the first half of the climb. At the midpoint of the two-phase hill, the rider will switch up the intensity into the tempo zone. So going from 56 to 75% of FTP up to 76 to 90% of FTP and hold this all the way to the top of the climb. Throughout the general prep base phase, riders might complete these efforts twice a week with a progression overload that looks like this. In week one, they'll be doing four times two phase hill repeats inside a longer ride of three to four hours at endurance tempo pace. Week two, they go up to six two phase hill repeats inside a longer ride of four plus hours at endurance tempo pace. Week three, they do eight two phase hill repeats inside a longer ride of five plus hours at endurance tempo tempo pace week four they'll drop down and do only three or four two-phase hill repeats however within the session they may insert an easy version of some other hill repeats that they have on file so that's the first half of the article and while it doesn't touch on too much we get a little bit of insight into how they train in november and december which sounds pretty similar in a lot of ways to a lot of athletes that i work with But then he moves on to nutrition and specifically calories in, calories out. How can we manage weight and how can we look for other things that a power meter tells us? And clearly a power meter does tell us how much energy we use on a bike. So they go through and they've got a system that they've been working on and they don't get into the specifics of it, but they do run through the process of how they can use these things. So in step one, They find a rider that is training and has set phases of regular duration and a progressive overload of intensity. Then it's possible to measure how much energy was expended in week one of a four-week training block and then extrapolate that over the remaining three to four weeks. Step two, once you have a snapshot of energy expenditure, you need to record the energy intake. So the rider would then just be recording their total calories. They use a nutrition software package but you could just record your calories however you want to do it. Step three, with a clear understanding of energy expenditure versus energy intake, it's then a relatively simple matter of inserting more calories into training days that are more strenuous. So they do go on in the article to explain how they would do this, but essentially, if you take the energy that you need from the first week of a four-week block, you look at what is needed at a maximum. And then you make a recommendation for weeks two, three, and four based on that, but you just shift things around a little bit. So on the days that are a bit lighter, you have less calories. On the days that are higher, you have some more calories. These are still very specific in the composition, but when you look from a higher level view, you're just looking at what you can put around a ride so you don't exceed that maximum level that you did the week before. I think it's a pretty simple idea and it's pretty clever in the way that you're not sacrificing anything but you're still able to measure in and out and in theory you're not going to affect the intensity that you can sit at during these rides because you should be fueling correctly for them. He does have an example of a rider that wanted to go down from 71 kilos. That was what they're at on the 23rd of November. It was when they were weighed early January that they dropped down to 67 kilograms, which was about half a kilo lost per week. So that's a pretty good result from what they are doing. It was also ensuring that the rider's sport-specific fuel was protected, like I said, making sure that day after day you're recovering right, but you've also got enough fuel to go out and do the program right. 
And also, it was looking after the blood sugar curve so that you could install meals that kept the rider full for longer at a low caloric cost. And this includes lunch and dinner with recipes that also allow for a little bit of flexibility and maybe a slight little bit of indulging, maybe a piece of chocolate or so. Overall here, this article, nothing groundbreaking, but I like it. I like the systems. If you're a systems freak, then you're going to try and figure out how to put this into your training. But I like how we get a little glimpse into what a pro team is doing, and then we can see how we can apply that to our training. Alrighty, let's get to the nuts and bolts. And what we are talking about today is, or are, the energy systems. I am backtracking a little bit today. There have been plenty of times before that we've spoken about nutrition and training, but we've never done a show on why you're fueling or where that fuel is going or when you're training, what energy system you're training and why is it important. So today, that is exactly what we're going to look at. The energy systems themselves can be divided into two main categories, aerobic with oxygen and anaerobic without oxygen. The anaerobic system can be further divided into the ATP phosphocreatine system, which is alactic, meaning it doesn't produce lactic acid, and the glycolytic or lactic acid system, which means it does produce lactic acid. We've all heard of the terms anaerobic and aerobic, but what do these terms really mean? Well, non-oxidative anaerobic without oxygen supplies rely on stored resources, ATP, CP, and production of lactic acid, and do not go into using oxygen to produce more energy. Oxidative, the body uses oxygen to aid in energy production through what is called the Krebs cycle. The standard energy of all human motion is the release of energy from ATP, adenosine triphosphate. Therefore, all of the components are related to the resynthesis or replenishment of ATP or the removal and or dissipation of the waste products associated with maintaining these ATP supplies. As a trained athlete, you will have the ability to utilize the system or systems necessary to replenish the ATP that is being utilized, but we also train to make these better and more efficient. The three major energy systems are anaerobic, the ATP PCR system. I'm going to say it once and then you won't hear me say it again. It's the triphosphate, as in three phosphates, phosphocreatine system. The second one is the glycolytic or lactic acid system. And the third one is the aerobic system. The body draws on all three, regardless of the type of effort, never actually closing one off completely. They merely change in percentage and amount of energy they contribute depending on the duration and intensity of the effort. Before we look into these systems in more detail, though, we can get a really good understanding of how they're used in cycling via Dr. Andy Coggins' power levels. If you're not familiar with these levels, they are a way of categorizing how intense an effort is, which dictates how long the effort will last and which systems will predominantly supply energy for the effort. There are a few variations out there when it comes to the categorization of energy and effort, but for cycling with power, Coggins' power levels stand out as the most popular, or at least the most publicized. There are seven levels or zones 
each representing an intensity and a time frame and now an energy system. So zones one to three represent the aerobic system and it can fuel activity anywhere from two and a half hours up to 70 or 80 years. Zones four to six represent the lactic system and you can fuel activities from around 30 seconds up to about 60 minutes and zone 7 stands out out on its own because it represents the ATP system where the energy you have is from 5 seconds to 15 seconds depending on who you ask and how they're feeling and that's where we're going to start energy system number one anaerobic the ATP phosphocreatine system. ATP is stored in all cells, particularly muscles. It is the only system that doesn't require a blood supply and has no byproducts. There are not many steps in the chemical reactions that make up the ATP PCR system. The reactions can take place in the absence of oxygen and phosphocreatine is a relatively high energy molecule. As a result, This system can provide a lot of energy quickly, but only for immediate and short 10 seconds, 5 to 15 second maximum intensity efforts. In a sense, it is free energy because the body stores ATP to make it available for immediate use. However, you can only use it once. And then you need recovery time to restore the storage because once you've depleted your phosphocreatine stores in a sprint, for example, it can take as long as five minutes to restore them to their resting levels, ready to sprint again. And this makes it a high rate but low capacity system. Energy system number two, the anaerobic lactic acid system is the next major phase And after around 20 seconds of the ATP PCR system, the body requires another ingredient, muscle glycogen or glucose, to be added to continue to keep you pushing those pedals. This system breaks down carbohydrate, a fuel in limited supply in the body, to produce medium amounts of power for medium amounts of time. The body stores around 500 grams worth of carbohydrates on any highly normal day in the tissues of the liver and the muscles, and it stores them in the form of glycogen. This amount of energy would fuel approximately 2,000 kilojoules of mechanical work on a bike measured by a power meter. Regardless of how long an effort is though, carbohydrate is always initially broken down through a chemical reaction called anaerobic glycolysis. Oxygen is not required for this reaction and whilst only about 5% of the energy potential of a glucose molecule can be realized, the energy is liberated quickly. So this energy system is well suited to high intensity efforts greater than 10 seconds to around two minutes. Because anaerobic glycolysis can only support short efforts, it only makes a small dent in the 2,000 kilojoules of stored carbohydrate available. So the time limitation is related to the chemical processes involved in anaerobic metabolism and their interaction with the body rather than the lack of availability of carbohydrate. This system's byproduct is lactic acid, thus the name. 
It comes from the breakdown of the glucose released from the muscles. Most cyclists have heard of lactate or lactic acid. Lactate is not a waste product. It is actually an important part of anaerobic and aerobic metabolism. During high-intensity efforts, lactate is produced in greater amounts than can be removed, and contrary to popular belief, fatigue may not be simply the result of lactic acid accumulation. There is a lot of misunderstanding around this molecule. For example, lactate does not cause muscle soreness. The third energy system is the aerobic system or the oxidative system. This is the term that indicates you are using oxygen to fuel the breakdown of carbohydrates first, free fatty acids second, and if the exercise continues long enough, protein. So whereas the previous systems have related to high-intensity work or power, the aerobic system is more for moderate or low-intensity work, but for longer duration. It can draw on your stores of glucose, but only for approximately 90 minutes at max. And this is why you need to replenish your glucose stores with carbohydrates during your ride. The oxidative system should be developed to aid in the lactic system. The development of the aerobic system aids in lactate removal so that you can tolerate more lactate. It's only able to produce a relatively small amount of energy, so it cannot produce enough energy for sprinting, but it can produce power for extended periods of time, making it the predominant system used during an endurance ride. So I have broken down very, very simply the three energy systems, but what really does all this mean for you? No matter if you're a road rider or an MTB racer, you use all of your energy systems to ride in all types of terrains. Individually, you're going to have strengths and weaknesses for specific durations and intensity. So you either have this already or you're trying to improve parts of your riding with training. Duh. But as mentioned before, when on a bike, all of your systems are providing a portion of energy depending on the intensity of work being done. This can actually be tested in a lab if you use similar equipment that is used for the analysis of the FATMAX test. So say we were going to do a 120 second sprint test or a Wingate test. The first 10 to 15 seconds is fueled almost exclusively by the ATP PCR system, producing a high burst of power, but very quickly fatiguing. So then after around 10 seconds, the phosphocreatine system is completely exhausted and the lactic acid system starts to kick in. By 30 seconds, the lactic acid system has fully taken over, but that rapidly starts to fatigue as lactate acid accumulates. By 40 seconds, the aerobic system has begun to kick in as oxygen has made its way to the working muscle and begins to assist with the aerobic contribution of energy production. So you could go and do this in a test and it would give you a nice looking graph with where this starts and ends, but really you're probably just better off doing a power profile field test because what we're trying to find is we're trying to highlight the main areas that need working on because you aren't producing enough power or you're predisposed to one type of event or a type of fitness. So that's where training comes into it. And training should address all of the energy systems, combining efforts from sprints to longer rides over multiple hours. The awareness of your energy systems may also come in handy when racing because anytime that you're on a bike, ask yourself, where is my energy coming from? What energy have I burnt recently? 
put it on your focus room checklist and base your decisions on the percentage of wattage that you're putting out over specific durations. Know where you're drawing energy from because it will help you know how much you've got in reserve. It may not be an exact science, but it may give you a better idea of how long you should be resting before you go again at max capacity. Okay, so it is a guessing game at this stage. It links with the idea of matches and the work on W prime and functional reserve capacity. And these are new ideas, relatively speaking, and there isn't much literature around them yet, but there's no harm in trying to work out what works for you and how you can best optimize your energy systems. Okay, the tech hacks and products section. And this week, I don't know if it's a hack. I guess it's the closest thing to it. It's a hack. It's not tech or products. It's just some information, a way to think about things, maybe strategy or tactic wise as well. Because in the intense writing of a criterion, you may be thinking, how the hell am I going to win one of these things if your writer profile isn't saying that you're traditionally going to do well? You're not a sprinter or you don't have a higher FTP, so you can't break away or whatever. So I recently found some great advice which will help you be the best crit racer that you can be. And the idea boils down to this. Whatever you're doing, do it 100%. Not 110, not 150, 100%. If you're sitting in, don't screw around, rest as much as possible. If you attack, attack hard. Sprint off somewhere around fourth or fifth wheel on the left or right hand side, depending on where the action is. Even a pathetic sprinter can get away easily if you go all out. 700 or 800 watts will get you a gap for sure. Then, once you have a gap, go really hard for the first couple of laps. None of this, I'm going to be away for 10 laps, so I'm saving my energy and going at threshold because you won't get away. Kill yourself. Do your five-minute max power for two laps. Then, when they can't see you anymore, do the math in your head about how many laps you can go and what you feel you can do. If you're not getting a gap, you aren't going hard enough. Staying away is another story, but anyone with a low FTP can definitely get away for at least two laps. That's an inspiring pep talk to me. That would G me up and inspire me to go have a crack at the next crit that I race because don't let a low FTP or you think you're not a sprinter get in the way of giving 100%. You've only got so much energy like we've been discussing, so don't waste it. Use it when it is at its most important. And on that note, even articulating when you're sitting in, sit in at 100%. I don't see enough time on my athletes' files where they're sitting at no cadence or very low cadence because when you're sitting in, you shouldn't be pedaling, you shouldn't be working much, you should just be focused on getting a free ride from everybody else that's around you. Then you're saving your energy for that 100% effort. And definitely, the seven or 800 watts is enough to get separation as long as you're willing to commit after a certain point. So what have you got to lose next crit? Why don't you just put it in? It's not the last one of the season yet. Put it in next time and see what happens and tell me about it. And now that quote from the top of the show, it is Teddy the Lumberjack King. No real reason to have him in the show except 110%. It's pretty funny. And in this clip, he does go through a couple of other funny things because 
I've got to say, Cannondale Garmin have definitely stepped up their content marketing this year. They're doing a great job so far at showing the fans a look at the other side of the riders. And even if they are still talking about cycling most of the time, we're getting a great look into some personalities and we really don't get to see that much of it. So bravo, Cannondale Garmin. I'm really enjoying it and definitely keep it coming. And that's it this week. You have been listening to the Semi-Pro Performance Podcast. Remember to head over to semiprocycling.com forward slash energy systems to find any links used in this week's episode. But till next week, get on your bike and enjoy the pain cave or the hurt box, whichever one you're into. (laughs) 